Welcome to another week of Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am Chris out on the West Coast. John is with me from the East Coast. John, how are you? Oh, I'm better now. <laughs> we were having some technical difficulties, but never fear. Uh, everything is all right. Um, We've been having those for about 43 years. <laughs> we have. We have. Um, so we've got a good one today, John. Yeah, we do. I'm, uh, I'm particularly excited about this. I think uh, with all the craziness that's going on in the world, uh, it's nice to dodge uh, the sad facts of reality and indulge in a little bit of classic 1970s glam rock. Yeah, if you want escapism, this album will give it to you. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's either that or listening to uh, Bertie Higgins' Key Largo, which I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Well, why don't you tell everybody what album we've got on tap here? Yes, sir, I would love to. Tonight, today, whenever you might be listening, we have the 1972 classic, the seminal Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars by, of course, the one and only late, great, iconic, amazing, legendary David Bowie. Indeed, indeed. One of the, I mean, one of the biggest icons of the last 60 years, really, 50 years. Absolutely. Um, and as you said, this album, it drops in 1972. And to, to kind of set the stage a little bit, um, you know, what was going on in the, the music world at that point, in terms of like general chart-topping music, you know, there's a lot of folk um, stuff like, the, year, the previous year, some of the top songs were Joy to the World by Three Dog Night, Maggie May, Rod Stewart, um, Carol King's on there. With the Harder Rock, you've got the Stones releasing Sticky Fingers in 71, Led Zeppelin IV. And, and into all of this background, David Bowie, uh, he drops an album about uh, an androgynous bisexual, uh, some say alien, some say a human being used as a vessel by aliens, uh, who comes to a, uh, on the verge of apocalypse earth. So in 1972, yeah. he does this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. This is sci-fi five years before Star Wars. Absolutely. It's totally sci-fi. And, and I think Bowie was, you know, he had a fondness for reading, you know, kind of pulpy sci-fi books. And this is, this is straight out of that. Um, and this, this John, it's, it's really the album where Bowie, I think, becomes Bowie. Would you say that's fair to say? Well, I, yes and no. I mean, I think at this point, he was fairly well established in the sense that he had had a, a couple of big hit albums. Well, Albums with cult followings. Mm -hmm. He had had a handful of hit singles at this point, um, including Changes and uh, Space Oddity. Mm -hmm. um, but this, yeah, this really catapulted him into megastardom. So I feel like every big rock act has that one album that's sort of the gateway. Uh, you know, we could use U2 as an example. You know, they had a good deal of success with War, uh, Unforgettable Fire. You know, they were being played regularly on MTV, but it was 1987's The Joshua Tree that made them this global phenomenon, this juggernaut, if you will, 
So I think that it's a similar situation with Bowie and with this album, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that I think I think that's right on. Um, you know, and this album is—it's uh, like you said, it's a rock opera. Um, you know, it's it's it just has that classic Bowie flair to it um, that only he could could bring, and in some ways, only he could get away with. Um, but you know, what are we we talked about? doing a Bowie album, John and I did, and you know, we were a little torn on what to do. And I'm not sure that if you can pick a favorite Bowie album, I'm not sure that either of us would pick this one because there's so many incredible ones. Uh, but this one was just so iconic that it felt like the right one to do. Um, yeah, it, it made sense, I think. I mean, I'm a Bowie fan, and, uh, but when I look at this album, and I look at the 11 tracks on the album, there's only one track that I would put in my personal Bowie top 10 songs and more about that song later. Um, you know, in fact, if I had to pick my favorite Bowie album, uh, and this would probably leave some diehard fans scratching their heads, I would go with Young Americans. Um, that just happens to be my favorite, but that's yeah. not to say that it's the best. And I think that critically, uh, commercially and just fan appreciation wise, Ziggy Stardust checks off all the boxes. And I think that you mentioned it, Chris, being a rock opera, which at not quite 40 minutes long, it is, but it's like a little mini rock opera. Yeah. Um, but it's also really the true definition of a concept album, I think. And uh, yeah, yeah. these yeah. songs, if you listen to the songs on their own, I don't think they do much for you. If you listen to the songs in the context of the album start to finish, it's a whole different story. It makes complete sense. Uh, I feel like the songs perfectly blend and flow into one another. Uh, and that's why I think to, to truly appreciate this, you need to drop the needle and just let the album play or just put the CD in or, you know, go see our friends at Spotify. Right, right, exactly. Um... You know, and when this came out, interestingly, you know, it wasn't right away. It wasn't a huge hit. Um, it it was on the top of the pops, um, where it really became huge. But we did a live performance of it there, and that sort right. of catapulted it into everyone's the front of everyone's mind. Um, I read a quote from from Bono, the lead singer for you too, who said that he was watching it, you know, Bono's from Ireland. Um, and he, he said, David Bowie was the reason to have a color TV, that he brought so much flair uh, and style to the screen. And he said, you know, at that point, watching that performance, Americans had put a man on the moon. Now we had our own British guy from space when he saw Ziggy Stardust. Um, right. And, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned how maybe not initially it was, it was a wild commercial success, but the critics took to it rather quickly. Mm. Um, Circus Magazine, the old uh, legendary rock publication back in the day, wrote that the album is from start to finish of dazzling intensity and mad design, a, stu a stunning work of genius. Um, oh. And I think the, the album's legend uh, grew over the years. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine uh, named it number 35 on their list of top 500 albums of all time. 
And in 2013, Rolling Stone magazine released a reader's poll of the top 10 greatest Bowie albums. And perhaps not surprisingly, Ziggy Stardust, number one. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, what, you know, it, it's a great album, but every album's got its, its weak point. Um, what for you, if anything, is the, uh, the nadir of this album? What, what doesn't oh, this, quite hold up? This is interesting because this is a, when I say this, it's going to raise some eyebrows for our 12 listeners. Um, <laughs> In seven countries, I should say. I That's should right. Be right. We're spreading ourselves out. That's right. We have listeners in India. So we do. We do. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, <laughs> so for me, oddly enough, Mine Adir is one of the more famous songs on the album. Hmm. Um, and it's Suffragette City. Uh, really? That is, yeah, that's the Bowie mega hit. And it's one that I never, ever liked uh, at all. I get why it's famous. I get why it's one of Bowie's greatest hits. I just don't like that. Wow. That's, I didn't expect that. Um, it just doesn't, doesn't jive with you personally? Uh, what, tell, tell me more about this. What, what don't you like? It's like, I just, I just don't dig it. Okay, every classic rock band, or artist has their hits that you like, and mm -hmm. then their hits that you're like, I can't listen to this damn song one more time, or I'm going to throw myself off the the Verrazano um, because I'm, you know, I'm afraid of heights. I couldn't go off the George Washington. I'd have to go a little bit lower. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, like with, <laughs> with with Zeppelin, I don't ever want to hear Stairway to Heaven again. Um, right, you know. That one's been played out so much, though. I feel like Suffragette City, you don't, you don't really hear it a ton. See, I've heard it a lot. I, like Zeppelin, if you said, do you want to hear All My Love? Do you want to hear Houses of the Holy? I'd be like, cool. And with Bowie, it's the same thing. Like, I would listen to Modern Love any given day. I would listen to the title track from this album any given day. Okay. Uh, Young Americans. Suffragette City, something about it just really annoys me. It really gives me anxiety. I get that it was groundbreaking. I get that there's elements of, of maybe uh, punk and, and a little bit of uh, sort of precursor to heavy metal. I just don't like the song. If you asked me what my Nadir is, I, I gave you an answer. That's all right. I mean, I can't help but think that you're, you know, you've been long been a vocal opponent of women's suffrage and uh, that that's playing into this somehow. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, and what just, would what would be? Can I ask what your idea would be? Yes. And just for the record, John is is not an opponent of women's. I don't think John's an opponent of women's suffrage. But uh, I don't even know what women's suffrage is. So <laughs> we'll move on. Well, I'll tell you, women's suffrage sounds like what my last few girlfriends had to go through. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, my Nadir, my Nadir was. The song Hang On To Yourself. Um, really? Towards the end, second half of the album. I don't think it's a bad song. You know, it's kind of cheery and upbeat. And, um, but to me, it just doesn't have the depth of some of the other tracks. Um, 
it's kind of a fun romp, but ultimately to me, forgettable. Um, are, are you really? feeling that one? I am actually. And I think that track is a very bold track. Um, mm. And it doesn't quite fit with some of the rest on the album. But I mentioned how Suffragette City had elements of, of punk and was sort of looking ahead toward the toward really like late 70s heavy metal even or in, into the 80s um mm. but hang on to yourself i mean it's it's punk music five years before the sex pistols uh that's what i love about it. it's not necessarily my style uh and it didn't make the cut for my sleeper or for my zenith but i think it's a pretty groundbreaking song i mean you might be right in terms of that and being ahead of its time for me you know, I think it's partially that it doesn't quite fit. Um, again, I don't think it's a terrible song or anything. I just, uh, it just doesn't grab me some of the way, the way some of the other songs do. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree on. Uh, I, I, I mean, you, you busted my stones over Suffragette City. I didn't know it was so important to you. <laughs> well, now you do. We've all got our, we've all got our secrets, John. Um, all right, well, fair enough. I'm now, what about for your sleeper? What would you pick? This is the song that uh, I mean, we've defined sleeper a couple ways. I mean, one is maybe a song that isn't quite as popular as a lot of the others. Uh, also, could be one that doesn't, you know, doesn't jump out to you at first, but but eventually you kind of gain an appreciation for it. It could also be that movie where those from the '90s where those guys get revenge on the priest that molested them. Oh God, I don't even remember sleepers. that. Remember Sleepers? Yeah, really. Oh, dark film. That's Wasn't right. it called Sleepers? Yeah. Yeah, who's in that? Oh, De Niro and uh, I think Kevin Bacon appeared in there and um, That's Jason right. Patrick. Whatever happened to Jason Patrick? I don't know. He had a nice little run there for a while, but uh, he did. I um, out the K, right? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, that's right. It was just a C. Yeah, I mean, how could Hold we move. forget this movie? Kevin Bacon, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely remember Mini that. Driver. Is there a baby carriage going downstairs in that? Like a... No, that's The Untouchables, Chris. That's The Untouchables. Oh, all right. Anyway. That was from the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Cosmo was in that. Okay. Um, but well, anyway, before I I, I'm there. sorry to get us off topic. Yeah, what do you got? For, what do you got for your sleeper? I have what I think is the very definition of sleeper song, not sleeper film. Um, I hadn't listened to this album in its entirety for years, and as I sat here working from home, five or six days ago, and I was listening to the album, halfway through it, something really stuck out at me, and uh, I had to go back and listen to it a few more times. And it's track number six, "Lady Stardust." Hmm. Um, I think some of Bowie's best work is when he, Bowie was a real crooner. You know, he didn't have this, this swaggering rock and roll voice like a, like a Jagger or a Robert Plant. Um, Bowie had this kind of smooth, velvety crooning quality. Mm -hmm. And I think he's at his best sometimes when he gets to do that along with a piano and a nice melodic line. Uh, you know, if you think of songs like uh, Life on Mars, uh, mm -hmm. or you go into his, into his 80s stuff, uh, China Girl, 
uh, or, or one of my favorites, Absolute Beginners uh, from the mid 80s. Great song. Uh, and, you know, that's actually, Bowie has said that's his favorite song of his uh, 1980s work. And I, I would agree with that. Wow. Um, yeah. I think that's when Bowie can really surprise you. And that's the case with Lady Stardust. It's incredibly infectious. He's got that croon going. And apparently, it's an ode to one of his contemporaries, the late, great um, uh, glam rock pioneer, Mark Bolin, from the band T-Rex. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it gave us, you know, Get It On and uh, Metal yeah. Blue. Um, yeah, apparently that's about him. Uh, they had this, I think, kind of somewhat friendly rivalry, you know, the three pillars of... of, of of glam rock in the early to mid seventies were with David Bowie, Mark Bowen, T-Rex and Roxy music. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, and Bowen would die about three or four years after this, uh, tragically in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think for me, uh, Lady Stardust without a doubt is, is, uh, the definition of a, of a sleeper song in my opinion. Now, where did you go with? Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I went with the same thing. Um, oh, ladies, yeah, we're, we're back together, baby. Um, yes, great. Fabulous. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I, it's this, it's a sort of a beautiful sweeping ballad, um, you know, with some surprisingly deep lyrics, um, coming in the middle of this, this album about, you know, a, a an alien who comes to earth or a human who's a vessel for an alien. Um, right you know, um, some kind of, you know, really poignant, um, haunting moments, um, you know, to watch this creature fair, boys stood upon their chairs to make their point of view. I smiled sadly for a love I could not obey. Lady Stardust sang his songs of darkness and dismay. You know, really simple, but, but beautiful, poignant. Um, I think it also comes at a point on the album when it's nice to have a kind of a step back and something that's a little more, uh, a little slower, a little more melodic, um, you know, coming after something like It Ain't Easy uh, and Before Star. Um, right. I just think it, it fits really well right there. Great song, really underrated. It is. And, you know, it's, it's precisely the reason why we go back on a weekly basis, and we listen to these albums that we haven't uh, in their entirety. Um, you know, this was the first time in, in years that I had listened to this album, like I told you. And I think this is one of the reasons why we do it, um, because you will stumble upon something that you missed 10, 15, 20 years ago. And something about it this time around really resonates with you. And uh, that's why I said that to me, this is the true definition of sleeper. I agree. I agree. Great one. Um, what um, what'd you go with for your zenith? We know now. I'm wondering if we ultimately went with the same zenith too. Um, Might I don't. I thought mine was going to surprise you a little bit, but maybe not. What do you What do you got? Well, maybe mine. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. And uh, for me, this I didn't even have to think twice about this. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier that there is one song on this album, only one, that's in my Bowie top ten. Um, and it's not only, yeah, it's not only the best song in the album, my opinion, uh, but it's one of Bowie's greatest and it's 
really the perfect opener. And that's the leadoff track, five years. Wow. Okay. Five years. Great. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something very sweeping and epic about it, but it's also incredibly ominous and disturbing. And I, I kind of consider it the musical equivalent of being on that beach in Thailand in 2005 and seeing <laughs> that tsunami coming up in the distance. And it's like, uh, yeah. you're, you're kind of like, is that a tsunami coming? <laughs> oh, shit. It's beautiful to look at. But you, you quickly realize, I need to get away from this, but you can't. It's just going to take you in um and wreak havoc once it hits the shore in a matter of seconds right and five years in my opinion is a storm of a song that really packs a punch and it just comes out of nowhere and it does that. um yeah, yeah. And, and it literally and is i mean that's the you know the gist of five years for anybody who hasn't heard it i mean five five years is literally a song about there's going to be five years until the world ends um exactly and so it sets the stage for this album. Uh, you know, the world, the earth that Ziggy Stardust is visiting is one that is literally doomed uh, and has five years left because of, uh, you know, I don't know how, how precisely they lay it out, but yeah, the world's ending. And I love the, there are moments where he kind of goes off uh, toward the end of it on a tangent just, goes on and on about simple things. And I think it's the simple things that you realize you will miss the most when the world comes to an end or when you meet your demise. And, um, you know, it's that great moment where he starts singing, I think I saw you in an ice cream parlor, mm. drinking milkshakes, cold and long, smiling and waving and looking so fine. I don't think you knew you were in this song. And it was cold and it rained. So I felt like an actor. And I thought of Ma, and I wanted to get back there. Your face, your race, the way that you talk. I kiss you. You're beautiful. I want you to walk. We've got five years. Yeah. Yeah. He can do so much with just one little phrase, Bowie, you know? Yeah, he could. I mean, he was, uh, you know, a musical visionary, and he was, he was phenomenal with lyrics. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's haunting. It's, yeah. Great song, great song. Now, what did you go with? Please don't tell I, me it was the same thing. I did not, I did not go with that. Um, you know, the title track is a great song. I thought about that. I've heard it so many times. Um, it does have that, that fantastic uh, guitar riff that's so iconic, Mick Ronson. Um, yeah. But ultimately the song that I keep going back to on this album can I guess? Can I guess? Yes. What do you got? Because I was going to, there was part of me that almost wanted to choose this, but I ultimately went with five years. Um, but I think you're going to say track number four, Starman. No. Woo. No. Starman's good. To me, it's, again, I've heard it so many times. It's a little played out. Um, and I think generally I just don't like it as much as the track right before that. Uh, Moon Age Daydream. Really? I, I love Moon Age Daydream. Um, really? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's ominous, it's operatic, um, it's poignant. I, to me, I mean, it's, 
<laughs> there's a lot of ridiculousness to this song. I mean, the, any song that begins, I'm an alligator, I'm a mama papa coming for you, I'm the space invader, I'll be a rock and roll bitch for you, um, you know, is, uh, it's out there. But to me, it's the refrain that, that keep, your, keep your electric eye on me, babe. Put your ray gun to my head. As absurd as it is, there's just such power in the way that Bowie sings that line. Uh, I just love it. It has such a hook for me. I just keep coming back to it. Um, uh, absurd song, good song. I know. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you're going with that as your Zenith. I was too. I, ex I fully expected to go back into this album and, and go with maybe the title track, maybe, maybe even five years. But, um, you know, as I put it on, I'd forgotten how, just how powerful that song was to me, as ridiculous as it is. It's this weird combination of these absurd lyrics, but this um, strangely powerful uh, music to it. Um, and I just love it. I love it. Interesting choice. Yeah. Now, John, let me ask you this. Do you feel that this song, that this album captures the zeitgeist of 1972? I think it captures a certain zeitgeist of 1972. You mentioned at the onset of this, uh, the, the, you, you kind of had the folk rockers going on. You had uh, more mainstream rock and roll by the likes of... Uh, Zeppelin and the Stones, uh, Pink Floyd, uh, I forgot Dark Side of the Moon, which I think was released the same year mm. as Ziggy Stardust. Mm. Um, so rock and roll's a little fractured. Uh, popular music's a little fractured at that point. Um, but yeah, in terms of glam rock and for really being uh, out there, yeah, I think I think it does capture the zeitgeist. It's it's a perfect snapshot of it. Bowie's the godfather of glam rock. But mm. what do you think? Yeah, I think it's tough because you know this is a very subversive album in a lot of ways, and glam rock in itself is a little bit or a lot subversive. And you know, so to capture like the broader zeitgeist of the world, I don't know that it does. I think it's almost running counter to it, but but the counterculture movement at that point was so strong that I think this captures that element of the, you know, if you have the culture and you have the counterculture, I think this captures the counterculture um, perfectly. If that that's way. what I meant to say. <laughs> uh, that's what Wikipedia told me at least. Uh, okay, very yeah. good, good. Now you know where I can get my info. <laughs> um, when, when, you know, when I can't seem to access Breitbart, Oh, dear God. Um, yeah, what are, so, you know, we always ask too, with all of these albums, any personal pop culture connections to this song for you, uh, this uh, album? Pop culture, not so much, uh, but memories, yes. In fact, in, I figured it out, it was December of 2003, I saw Bowie live at the Madison Square Garden. Uh -huh. um, and it, it blew my mind because I still have the ticket stub and I think, you know, I had an okay seat, not great, but good enough. And I probably paid $50. That included all the weird handling fees. And yeah. think about that. Not quite 20 years ago, you could see David Bowie at Madison Square Garden for 
That's um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it was insane. And he put, on a, he put on a great show. I mean, it was a terrific show. The band, his, his backing band was great. His, his opening act was Macy Gray. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, we skipped that. Um, <laughs> I didn't know she had more than one song, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and for me, he came out for an encore, and he did five years. And it was just... Wow. It was out of this world. And he sang a few songs off this album. He did um, Hang On To Yourself. He did the title track as well, I believe. But okay. when he did Five Years, it was just, it blew my mind. And, um, you know, it's crazy to think about. This was his last, I think this might have been his last tour or his last tour of the States. Because wow. um, even though he wouldn't die till several years later, he kind of, eased into retirement um and disappeared for a while and i don't know i still can't believe he's gone i mean you know he died in early 2016 and he was kind of that it's terrible to look at it this way but he was part of that 2016 die-off you know the rock holocaust yeah. they all yeah you know, he died and then glenn fry of the eagles died a couple days later a few yeah. months after yeah. that prince died uh, on Christmas of that same year, George Michael died. And I think if I'm not mistaken, and this was probably the biggest loss, uh, music in 2016, didn't Rene Angelil die as well? That year? I, I know it was somewhere around then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that one, that one really hurt. <laughs> um, now what, what about for you? Well, you know, I, I think I, I kind of came into Bowie a little bit later. Like I don't have much memories of Bowie other than him being this icon that hovered over everything as a, as a kid or even as a teenager. I kind of got more into Bowie in my 20s. Um, and so my, you know, for me, what listening to an album like this brings up is kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, sadly, is I never got to see Bowie uh, in concert, um, which, you know, you, you just always... You think, oh, you know, I'll go the next, I'll do the next tour, I'll do the next tour, whatever. I've got stuff going on. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm just very sad that I never got to see the man perform live. You know, some, an album like this where it's so theatrical, you know, really highlights just what an unbelievable performer uh, that he was. Um, so consider yourself lucky, my friend. I am a lucky man. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up here, last question, perfect album? Yes, I think so. Not necessarily a perfect collection of songs that I love, but for what it is, for the concept album, the glam rock concept album, the mini rock opera, uh, yeah, all the tracks are properly aligned. They, they fall where they should on the album. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's an ebb and flow to the way one track goes to the next. So yeah, I think it's a perfect album. How about you? I, I agree. I agree. You know, I, whether it's Bowie's best album or not, you can definitely debate. But I think um, you know there isn't anything I would I would change about this album. Even you know the Nadirs that we talked about, I, I think they still fit perfectly with the album. So um, perfect album. Yeah. All right, John. Well, um, this has been fun. We'll be back. As next always. Week. Um, 
You yeah, have a special week. treat next week. We can't really say what it is, but we, we got something cooking. We do. It's going to be a good one. Um, it always is. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, John. Have a good week, everybody. Adios. All right.